Innovation happens at breakneck speed in digital health. In fact, things change so fast it can be tough to stay in the know. I looked and looked for a podcast that was dedicated to showcasing the hottest products, companies, and trends, and it didn't exist. So I created it. This is the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health, and I'm your host, Mike Moore. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. We're going to be talking about wearables today with one of the most well-respected and uh, and I believe well-liked CEOs out there. She's a force of nature, uh, venture capitalist, or I should say investment banker turned operator, CEO, Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health. Renee, how are you today? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, for those of you that aren't familiar with Cala Health, which I'm sure a lot of you are because you guys have done a great job of getting the word out there, but you guys have the only wearable device approved for essential tremor and Parkinson's disease with respect to hand tremor. Really exciting technology. I know you and I have been going back and forth about scheduling this for for some time now and and wanted to get the next gen device to market before we did so to appropriately spotlight it. But really appreciate you coming on today and given us an opportunity to spotlight the technology. As always, I'd love to just kind of get started by having you kind of tell the origin story. I think you've got a fascinating story, the transition, obviously, from investment banking into being an operator and whatnot. But tell us how you got involved with, with Cala Health. Yeah, happy to. So I spent eight years after investment banking. I spent about eight years at J&J as a venture investor. And one of our sort of fantastic relationships in the med tech industry was with the Stanford Biodesign Program. And so I had brought a group of probably about six or seven J&J execs out to Stanford Biodesign. Paul Yock set up a wonderful meeting and a lunch. And I said, Paul, it'd be great to see some of the you know, innovation companies that have recently come out of the program to sort of give the, a flavor of what the innovation at Stanford Biodesign really looks like. And Kate Rosenbluth, the founder of Cala, walked in the room and presented the work she had done. She had finished the fellowship program, had stayed on for an additional year to work on this project, and had been able to treat about 11 patients in a lab at, at Stanford. And so she had beautiful data of how the technology, when applied to two nerves at the wrist, could reduce the burden of tremor in essential tremor patients. And literally, I at the time was on the board and still am on the board of Neuropace, which mm -hmm. is a responsive neuromodulation technology that's looking for seizure activity in the brain and then applying electrical signal when it detects the, the, the seizures. In a way, Cal was doing the same, right? Reading the frequency of the tremor and adjusting our waveform to then reduce the tremor burden. And so I said, Kate, you're doing responsive neuro neuromodulation in a wristwatch. I said, let's go start a company. Little did I know that she had just had her second child. She was on maternity leave and gave me every reason in the book why we couldn't start the company. But I think I won that battle because six weeks later, Cala Health was formed. So I was the <laughs> lead investor for the Series A. So when I say you were a uh, you're a tour de force, you put that you put that to work with uh, with talking her into to coming along for the ride, huh? Absolutely. Good deal. Good deal. So before we get into the product and what the technology is all about and and the benefit it communicates to the patient, talk a little bit about the market size and and why this is such a you know a significant area of focus, but also, you know, what's the use case? What are these patients currently, how are they managing these, this disease state currently and, and, and whatnot? It was interesting when Kate, for a couple of things that Kate had when she was working on this project, 
she had reached out to a group called the International Essential Tremor Foundation and asked if she could run a survey. She wanted to know what these patients struggled with to really understand the condition better. And I don't know how big of a database they have, but within the first 24 hours, I think we had over a thousand responses from patients in a survey. Wow. Amazing, yeah. right? So super engaged patients. What we know about the market at the time, we thought there were about 3 million patients in the U.S. I was in the middle of doing a, a series of projects with a consulting group, and I asked the consulting group to do me a favor and go size the central tremor market. Turned out they came back and said it's probably more like 6 million. Well, today the market numbers are more like 7 to 10 million people in the U.S. alone have essential tremor. It's the most common and most prevalent movement disorder in the world. In the general population, it affects about 2% of the population. In the over 65 population, it affects 5%. Wow. The 5% prevalence there. So enormous opportunity. And what you find in this marketplace is there are first-line drugs are generic, so they're relatively inexpensive seemingly, but they have to be dosed very high because they're not really indicated for treating essential tremors. They're beta blockers for cardiac indications or anti-seizure medication. On the other end of the spectrum are very expensive and invasive deep brain stimulation. And that was Kate's background. Our founder had a background in, in the DBS field and also new innovations such as the MR-guided focused ultrasound that's ablating the location in the brain that the tremor results from. And obviously, both of those are tremendously invasive. The medical management side works at times, not great at others. Uh, so there, there's obviously a nice nice niche there for you guys to satisfy a need. Let's jump into the product. Tell us a little bit about the product. Kind of, I, I think I think you've got a device that you can show to the audience, mm -hmm. but I'd love to, yeah, just jump in and kind of have you demo that, show how it works. What uh, Tell us a little bit about how often the patients have to wear it, what type of results they can expect, et cetera. Yeah. So our original device, which is the Calatrio, uh, was approved back in 2018. And it was approved as an on-demand use device. So patients use it when they need it. And so our second gen device, which is the Cala Kick, which is right here, again, looks exactly like a wristwatch. Yeah. A little bit. Typical little wearable. Bit, uh, about the thickness of a Apple watch and then has a replenishable band that the puck, the stimulation puck itself snaps in from behind into this band. So the original device that went to market was the Cala Trio. It had three electrodes, one at the back of the wrist, and then two over the specific nerves that we're addressing, the median nerve that comes off the bottom of the palm, and the radial nerve that comes off the bottom of the thumb. And so when a patient first gets this device, they snap the puck into the back of the device. They press the large button. They get a, a timestamp on there. You can see that. Yep. And they press it again. And uh, well, this one is ready to go. So start session. Typically, for a first-time user, they'll get a message that says, do tremor task. And the tremor task is through the prescription that the physician sends to us. They, so they assign it a right or a left-handed and a small, medium, large band, small, medium, or large. And then they assign one of two postural holds, either a hold with your elbows out to the side or your arms held out in front of you. And during that postural hold, the, the device is using onboard motion sensors to read the frequency of the tremor and then personalize our waveform to that individual patient's tremor Wow, pattern. that's yeah. incredible. After that calibration is done, the patient then can start a session, and it's a 40-minute stim session. So in this device, a little bit of a different electrode form, we actually now have the, the electrodes directly over the nerves, with the middle one being the active one and the grounding pads being the two on the outside. 
So what we're seeing with this new device is we're seeing really precise electrical signal delivery into the nerves. And uh, though it's we use our de novo 510K as our own predicate, we don't claim superiority, but the early results out in the marketplace are very strong in terms of the performance of the device. And we're really excited about it. That's great. That's great. So they use this for, you said, forty a 40-minute session. How long do they get relief from this? How often do they are they typically wearing it? What's the, you know, kind of the, the cadence of that? So in a whole series of clinical studies and also anecdotal feedback from patients, our sense is that they get at least a 60-minute relief after the session. So 40-minute stim session, they begin to actually see and feel the tremor relief starting at about minute 15. Wow. That benefit continues to get better for the full 40 minutes. The device automatically shuts itself off and the patients get another 60 to 90 minutes of benefit after. So typically if they want to go eat at a restaurant, they can wear their device before, you know, on the way to the restaurant and then the device will turn itself off and they can then eat without clinking, you know, fork and knife on the plate and making a mess. And, and that's, that's a lot of the use cases. We also see a lot of patients benefit where they'll wear it early in the morning to allow themselves to get themselves their self-care, their bathing rituals Brush their and dressing teeth, themselves. all that stuff. Right. And, and is right. there a limit on how much they can use it? No, the battery life is, this, this actually device has a little bit improved battery life over the trio, but the battery life is designed to support upwards of five stimulation sessions a day. So if you think about it, if you're getting you know, a 40-minute stim session and you're still getting 90 minutes of benefit afterwards, you potentially could get a full 10 to 10, 12, 12 hours, hours of benefit yeah. by wearing the device throughout the day. Our data set shows, on average, patients are using, using the device five to six times a week. And then oftentimes they're using it twice in a day. So three or three, two or three days, and they're using it repeatedly in that day because they have an activity that they want to- Or they're going to be around family or whatever. Yeah. Correct. Is the puck, you said that they snap the puck into the back. Is that disposable? Is that, how does it work? Yeah, no, this is the durable component. So we're considered a durable medical equipment. I mean, it's a land of where kind of, you know, wheelchairs and yeah. CPAP machines tend to fall, right? And so this is the durable component. And the durable is, is paired up with a base station, which is how you charge the device at night. Uh, you can just simply place the device on the base station. It automatically centers. So for, pa- for patients who have hand tremors, we designed a really elegant base station that has a magnetic self-centering pogo pins so the patient can automatically charge it at night. It's really elegant. And so they they place it in the base station. It automatically charges, uploads all the data to our cloud. That's how we're doing all of our data collection is at night when the patient's charging the device. And then this is replenished. So that's the puck. The band is replenished every 90 days. Got it. The sensors and everything are are the disposable component and the puck is the durable component. Yeah, the, the electrodes are are because we start to see impedance yeah. rise after about 90 days, for safety purposes, we, we want to make sure we can turn off the band at 100 days and have the patient reorder their supplies. Got it. That's great. If you've got it pulled up, I'd love for the audience to see the scribble test of, of the results that you guys get. I, when I when I was looking at your guys' website, that was just, it's a showstopper. I mean, you literally, it's almost unbelievable the difference that the technology makes. Yeah. So this is directly from some of our materials that we use to speak to clinicians about how the technology actually impacts these patients. And so you see the pre-therapy. This is a very standard Archimedes spiral drawing where you've asked the patient to do a session before they start a stimulation session. And then you ask them to do the spiral drawing again after. 
And you see that nine out of 10 patients experience tremor reduction with a complete 40-minute stimulation session and most maintained an hour afterwards. And so this is a, a real patient who was using our device uh, as part of our clinical studies, and this is the result they got. That's incredible. Do most of the patients just leave the device on and then wear it all day and just kind of turn it on and off when they, in advance, think that they're going to need some dexterity? Or, or is it most of them are just using it like once a day and then kind of putting it back on the charger? I'm just kind of curious what the... Yeah. So we have, obviously we have years of experience. Yeah. Years of experience with the Calatria, right? Cause this, this device has only been available since June of, of this year. So only about a month and a half or so right. with the Calatria, it was a little bit of a higher profile device. And it also, instead of the puck snapping in from behind, it snapped on top of the device. And so it was a, a little bit bulkier and it was harder for patients to hide it under their sleeves. Mm-hmm. And so for the Calatria, we noticed that most patients would take it off and you know, put it back on the base station or put it in their, their handbag and pull it out later if they wanted a second session throughout the day. We designed the Cala Kick specifically for an all-day wear. And so it is the thickness of an Apple Watch. It's designed to kind of look more like a Garmin. I was going to say, watch. it looks exactly like a Garmin. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. And that's good because I think a big component of a lot of these types of technologies is people don't want to feel embarrassed about you know, like it, there's a technology out there. You may know Kate Dilligan over at Cooler Heads, but you know they're doing. A, they're, they've got a scalp cooling treatment for patients that are undergoing chemo. And the biggest thing with that is, is people don't want others to know they're sick. And that's that. You know, and so for that to look when when you showed it, I thought that looks like a garment. I bet you people. And that was why I asked the question. I bet you people don't feel embarrassed about wearing that out. It just looks like another smartwatch or one of those types of technologies. So yeah, the design, you use the word elegant. I think that's that's definitely appropriate. What's the commercial status like? I know you guys have been selling for a while now. Give us an update on, you know, kind of where you guys are at with that. And then, you know, and then maybe we can touch on reimbursement. Oh, my favorite topic. Sure. <laughs> Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> so uh, we began commercializing as a cash pay only option back in 2019. We were very fortunate that by mid-2020, we had a VA policy on our TAPS therapy. This device is actually the device that has approval for Parkinson's. And so this was approved in November of last year. And then we've completed all the VNV and final development, note to file. So this device itself is, has both the Parkinson's approval for action tremor in a Parkinson's patient and the hand tremors for essential tremor patients. And so the VA has updated their policy to reflect both conditions, so both Parkinson's and ET. Outside of the VA, we're not, outside of the VA and cash pay, we're not yet indicated for Parkinson's. Got it. So we're limited in our Parkinson's launch at this point. And then we have commercial contracts that have about 90 million contracted lives with both the state-by-state blues plans and also some of the the large national folks. And so Humana and Anthem are currently our two national contracts. Obviously, more work to do in the commercial world with our unique coding and and pricing that we've received through Medicare and moving into more policy-type decisions. So that's kind of our big next hurdle, along with kind of navigating Medicare very carefully here. Yeah. In terms of like if somebody wanted to get a device, obviously cash pay is, they could probably, I'm guessing, just order it directly from you guys. But if if somebody wanted to get a device, what's the what's the pathway to for patients to, is it going in directly into the, is it the neurologist? Is it, who would be the prescriber? We've actually done a lot of work on identifying that key physician set. So general neurologists 
are the primary prescribers for the technology. We do have a good number of large primary care practices where they have a lot of essential tumor patients. So we do see some prescription volume from, from that group. And then also on the other end, the movement disorder specialists have also adopted prescribing. But really the, the bulk of our prescriptions come through the neurologist. And so we do require a patient to get a prescription before they can purchase a, a, a system from us. That prescription, as I mentioned, has right hand or left hand. Um, we can serve bilateral patients, but we typically like to have a patient start with their dominant hand, meaning the hand that they both do most of their activities of self-care and feeding and dressing with, and also typically the more severe hand to start out with. And so right or left-handed, small, medium, large band, and then that important tremor task, which is the, the hold that the physician believes elicits the most visual amount of tremor so that we can get a really good reading of the frequency of the tremor of each individual patient. And then once we get that prescription, then we work through the, the payment options or financial assistance program with our patients. So do they, how does that work? Do you, do you guys just, do you get pre-authorization through the, through the carrier and then, and then if they approve it, then you send it out or how does that work? Yeah. So that's what we're doing now. So we're really focused on the places where we have existing contracts yeah. and all of the contracts uh, require a pre-off process. Yeah. So we do notify the patient that it's going to take some time for us to collect all the medical necessity documentation. Our sales reps do a great job. They're out training these physicians offices on what we need to see. And so Expedites it's, the we're process. Getting, it yeah, we're getting better at yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so typically we go through a pre-off process first ensure that we're going to get paid, and then we ship the device out to the patient, and then we actually onboard the patient. So we're doing everything from the earliest intake of the prescription to the claims processing and billing, and then the onboarding of the patient to train them how to, how to use the device. That's incredible. How many reps do you guys have nationally? We currently have 10 sales reps. Okay. And are you guys looking at EU or OUS, or is it all in US right now? Right now, the U.S. is our biggest market, and uh, and because we've uh, obviously have a, a little bit of a hiccup here with Medicare, we're really focused on just solving the U.S. part of the equation right now. Yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. What's next? What do you guys are you guys looking at any other movement disorders? What do you see for the future of Trio or, or Cali? So the yeah, the immediate next steps are we have to get so. Full disclosure, while we do have approval in Parkinson's, our clinical data there is limited. We um, actually just heard recently that I think our our Parkinson's study has been accepted for publication. So stay tuned. Congratulations. We have some good news coming out. But we really need to do more work in, in Parkinson's. And so I think the current next step is to continue to focus on hand tremor. Uh, it's an enormous market. And there's a lot of patients we can serve. We also have ideas around, you know, we're opening up a, we have today a patient portal. So a patient can come in and see their therapy at work. They can see when they do their device usage. They can see actually through the commercial experience. Remember I talked to you about that tremor task yep. that they do before? Well, actually in the commercial world, we actually are asking those patients every seventh session to do those postural holds before and after a stim session. So now we have dose-by-dose -dose tremor benefit. And so you can begin to really empower a patient with showing them their data. We also ask them to rate their tremor. Did your tremor get better, stay the same, or get worse? Yep. Good news is about 75, 80% of the time, they say it got better. And so you're now creating this engagement tool. You can empower your patients. Right. Well, soon to come, by the end of this year, we're going to offer a healthcare professional portal. And we actually think, and we've tested this with a lot of our docs, 
they're very confident that they can encourage patients to keep going with the technology. It is something they're not used to putting on a big bulky watch every day and, and running a stimulation session and feeling the stimulation in their nerves. But if they can see the results and empower their patients, maybe also looking at different dose titrations of their meds that they're on, because uh, we keep patients on all their medications and it's the doctor's decision to, you know, how to titrate those meds going forward. And so we'll open up that healthcare professional portal later this year and really encourage our doctors to pull that data up and have a more rich experience with the patient within, a, within an office visit. Yeah, which, I mean, more information is always better, right? If they're Correct. able to... If and they, they don't have any say. Right. Right. They have nothing. All they have is anecdotal feedback from the patients saying, oh, my tremor is getting worse or it's getting better. But typically, if they're in the physician's office, they're probably nervous anyway. And so their tremor is likely to be more acute in that setting. So much of that is so subjective. I mean, I, and it's not because the patients are old or, you know, not as sharp as they might have once been. You know, when I go into the physician, you know, and you try to communicate things that have been happening, maybe you have you see that doctor every six months, you do the best job you can of being a good historian of what's happened, right? But I can barely tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday. So for the physician to have that quantifiable data and be able to absorb that and make a holistic pathway for that patient, a care pathway, I think that's the the big win with digital health, right? Is is the data, you know, if it's good data, and this is seemingly good data, the data doesn't lie. And so you can make more well-informed decisions. Last question. Do you guys, have you seen any anecdotal evidence of the results lasting longer than, you know, the 90 minutes have, you know, have some patients done better than others and outperformed the, the stated, you know, the stated expectations, I guess? Yeah, you know, we don't, nothing, nothing's published, but I would say that we have a handful of patients who I call our super users yeah. who are using the device. And one of them happens to be a patient that's on our website, uh, Ben, who's an Air Force vet. And he got his device early on, like September of 2020. And so he's been a user for a long time. His feedback is he uses it fairly predictably, twice a day, 10 a.m., 4 p.m., and he says his tremor almost never actually comes back. Now, right. anecdotal, don't take it to the bank, but but again, very promising that patients are figuring out how to use it, incorporate it into their daily routine, and get as much benefit as they can from the technology. Yeah, every, body, every person, every body is different, right? And they're going to respond to that, each individual therapy differently. Well, and, and tremor itself is very heterogeneous. I mean, some days, if you have a patient hasn't slept well, you know, some patients will say, you know, I just take a shot of vodka, right? Alcohol works to, to, to calm the tremors down. Right. Unfortunately, typically there's a rebound the next day where the tremor actually comes back even worse. And so if you haven't slept well, you've had too much caffeine, your tremor is going to be affected by that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many out- outlines or variables that are going to play into the equation. Well, thank you very much, Renee. I know this has been a, a passion project for you and um, I'm really excited that you guys are enjoying the success you had. Certainly there's, uh, there's always going to be uh, challenges ahead, but uh, it sounds like you guys are doing great work out there and definitely would love to invite you back for a follow-up visit at some point in the future and wishing you guys continued success on the journey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. That's it for this episode of The Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review and rating. That'll let others know the show is definitely worth checking out. Also, if there's a product, company, or trend you'd like to see featured on the show, just shoot me an email. My address will be in the show notes. Take care and I'll catch you next time.